Good afternoon to Facebook family and friends. Wonderful to see you and to be with you on this very warm, sunny afternoon. Coming to you live from uh, Tyler, Texas, where it, the temperature is definitely in the 90s. And um, hopefully the heat is not going to affect the uh, production today of this little devotional Bible study. Looks like I'm cutting a little bit in and out, but hopefully we'll have some consistency as we go along. Uh, you know me, I just keep going and keep talking and hoping and praying that the technology is staying up with me. Uh, but it's great to be with you. If you follow me on Facebook or Joyce, then you know that uh, we have had a great few days of being able to spend some time with grandchildren. And that's been a huge, huge blessing for us. We were able to spend a couple nights with our grandson in Arlington, Isaac, and uh, uh, one of those days we were able to meet uh, our three grandkids from Maryland, and that's the first time we'd seen them since December of 2019. So we were really, really thankful and grateful to be able to hang out with them for a few hours at the Dallas uh, Aquarium and also a little luncheon afterwards. And then they were off with their other grandmother and they'll be here with us starting this coming Sunday. So with that in mind, I do want to let you know that a week from today, uh, Sunday afternoon on July 25th, there will not be this 4 p.m. Bible study. If I were to try it, you wouldn't be able to hear a thing because there would be kids racing around everywhere in our tiny little house. And we can't wait for that. That's going to be a blessing. And I'll try to remember to put out a Facebook note uh, next Sunday and let you know that that uh, we won't be uh, able to, to do the Bible study. But we will be doing the Tuesday-Thursday study uh, this week. And then next week we uh, will take a break from the Sunday afternoon First John study and also from the Tuesday-Thursday uh, uh, spiritual armor study as well as we've been looking at the armor of God from Ephesians 6. So a little housekeeping chores here at the very beginning. Nice to see a few folks signing on already. We had a good group of folks gathering in, uh, at West Irwin Church of Christ here in downtown Tyler for uh, worship and Bible classes this morning. We appreciate everyone's participation. We have a lot that watch online as well. Uh, and so it's great to see some familiar names on there. Wonderful to be with you and uh, uh, love to be able to study God's Word with people who love God's Word and who love God's people so much. So with all of that, let's get to it. We're in 1 John chapter 3 today, and um, it's a great, it's such a great passage. And 1 John chapter 3 verse 1 is one of those great and incredible uh, verses. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ gives us so many blessings. And here are two. One is the forgiveness of sins, and another is the call to be faithful, the call to live like Jesus lived. We've been discussing in 1 John the two streams that it seems like the apostle is, is really focused on. One stream is to those who need assurance of their salvation, who are uh, giving it everything they have and are seeking to walk in the light, as he says in 1 John 1. And and to rely, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and to live obediently. They don't do that perfectly, uh, but they seek to do that faithfully. And John offers up some great assurance and encouragement to them. But then there's that other stream that are those who are not doing those things. They feel like they don't sin. They feel like they don't need the grace of God. They feel like 
They are not going to follow that call to righteousness living, as Paul talks about in the book of Romans and Philippians 3 and in other places. But, uh, and so that John has a word for them as well, and that word is to repent. That word is to acknowledge that you too are a sinner in need of God's grace and are called to live according to those two great commands that Jesus shared, to love God first of all and to love neighbor as self. And if we're not doing those two things, then we're not going to be acceptable to God. So those things are hit again in this passage in 1 John chapter 3. And it always begins with God throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New. Even the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments, are given in the context of God's blessing first and then our obedience as an act of gratitude to Him. Um, it's the same kind of principle that we see in, in Romans 12. In Exodus 20, it begins with, I'm the God who brought you up out of Egyptian bondage. Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me, and the Ten Commandments begin. Same thing in Romans chapter 12. Therefore, in view of God's mercies, offer up your bodies as living sacrifices. We see that time and time again throughout Scripture. We certainly see that here in 1 John. Um, and so we begin with the incredible love of God. And we begin with this amazing statement in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Such great passages of scripture, verses that you're familiar with, sometimes we forget, oh, where are they? I know they're in there somewhere. Well, those two are in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And again, it starts out with that statement of amazement from the apostle. This is the apostle described in his own gospel as the apostle whom Jesus loved. If anyone was close to Jesus, it was John, the son of Zebedee, the brother of James, the first apostle killed for the faith, recorded in Acts chapter 12. Uh, this is John, the one of the ones who was especially close to Jesus. Peter, James, and John went with him a little farther in the garden of Gethsemane, went with him up the mountain of transfiguration, went with him into the bedroom of Jairus's daughter, the synagogue leader, uh, with, with her mother and father after she had died, and Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and raised her from the dead. Uh, uh, only those three and her parents were in the room with Jesus when he did that. This is that Apostle John uh, that's saying these things, and yet still he finds it amazing, absolutely amazing, that God could love us so much. Again, 1 John 3, verse 1, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. <laughs> it's like he's saying, I can't believe this is true. Imagine that we could be called the children of God, and yet it's true. He actually gives us that blessing and that privilege. Uh, Romans 8 talks about that. We did not receive a spirit that makes us slaves again to fear, but we received the spirit of adoption. And so we too, just like Jesus did, we are able to cry out, Abba, Father. 
And if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. What a great, great statement in Romans chapter 8. And Paul and John agrees with that statement here in 1 John 3. Imagine that we could be called the children of God, yet that is what we are. That is what we are. It's just so amazing. And it's like he's saying, God's love, where in the world did that come from? And yet he says, we don't just get a little bit of God's love. He didn't just measure it out very carefully and then give us a small dose. He lavished that love upon us lavished it upon us so much so that we could be called his own children. When we address God as Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, as we call it, he told us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven. It's just an amazing statement that as sinful creatures as we are, and as great and holy and almighty as our Creator God is, still he loves us so much that he enables us to call him Father. He enables us to be his children. Uh, this passage goes on to say, uh, the reason the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know him. And we're reminded of what Jesus said uh, in John 17 and in Matthew chapter 10 and so many other places. Jesus warned us that, hey, the world is not going to accept you. You shouldn't be surprised when the world takes on different values, when it rejects your word, when it rejects you, because it rejected Christ. As Jesus prayed in John 17, he prayed to the Father and he said, I've given them your word and the world has hated them for it. And the world hates them because it hated me first. Uh, they're not of the world, Jesus says in John 17, any more than I'm of the world. And yet he has sent us into the world just as the Father sent him into the world. That is our mission, that is our ministry, uh, to share God's love with a world that more times than not is not going to respond to it and is going to react uh, in attack mode rather than in appreciation and gratitude mode. It won't be that way all the time, but we shouldn't be surprised when it is that way. We certainly see that today. We shall be like him and we will see him in all his glory. That incredible verse too. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, you know, we, we're familiar with the, the, the stories in the Bible of individuals who were so afraid when they had some glimpse of the vision of God, Isaiah in Isaiah 6. The people in Moses' day telling Moses, look, this mountain, this Mount Sinai thing is, is, is too scary for us. Why don't, why don't you go talk to God and you come tell us what he said because we're too afraid. We're too afraid. And yet as John writes, John says, we will be like him because we will see him as he is what a great and incredible statement we're reminded of second corinthians chapter 3 verse 18 that we're being transformed into his image uh, we're growing in our faith just as peter said to grow in the grace and knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ in second peter 3 18 colossians 3 verse 4 says when christ who is your life appears then you also will appear with him in glory John gives us great assurance to say we are loved 
We are children of God. Amazingly enough as that sounds, it's true. Through Jesus Christ, we are children of God. And then it's, he says, we will be able to see our Father. We will be able to see our Lord and Savior uh, because we will be uh, there in heaven, in their presence for eternity. What a wonderful blessing. Sonship is present, but vision is future, F.F. F. Bruce writes. So we have that adoption as children of God. That is today, but we don't see it physically yet. We know it's there and we accept that by faith. And one day that faith will become sight. Some call it the already and the not yet. It's that assurance of being God's children and yet not really being able to have that physical sight. But one day we will see him as he is and we will be like him. That's what John assures us of. Seeing him, seeing him face to face will result in our being perfectly like him. Uh, the incredible love that God has lavished on us, this unbelievable gift of being his children, leads us to respond in righteousness and in love. We talked in our Sunday morning Bible class this morning, our combined class in what we call our Family Life Center, and we had uh, quite a number of people in there, and we've been talking about building our faith and not letting Satan steal our joy. And our subject this morning was obedience, and it's basically the subject of much of the book of 1 John. Because again, he approaches two streams of people, one stream who are needing assurance, who need to be reminded that you are a child of God, but then another stream of people who need to repent, who need to be reminded that because we are children of God, uh, we now respond in grateful obedience. And that's what the rest of this passage calls us to do in 1 John 3, beginning at verse 3. All who have this hope, 1 John 3, 3, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. Again, those two strings, the back and forth. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. On the one hand, we have forgiveness through him of our sins. On the other hand, we are called upon to stop our life of sin and to rely on him and be obedient to him. Verse 7, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous, the Lord. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. One of the things in my sermon this morning we spoke of was that passage of scripture in John 8 when Jesus kind of has it out in a verbal war with the Jewish leadership. And he tells them, you are of your father, the devil. He's a liar from the beginning and is the father of lies. And because you are lying, then you're being like your father. In a very similar way, Jesus says, look, the devil has been sinning from the beginning. We can't give our lives over to sin. Verse 9 of 1 John 3, No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. 
Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and their sister. And as you know, that's going to be the topic of the rest of the book almost, especially in 1 John chapters 3 and 4. But before we get further, I want to remind us of 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. Remember, as we read these words, they sound very challenging. Uh, and, and some have said these words indicate that as a Christian, if we've really been saved, then we can't sin. God has this ultimate control over us to where we no longer are capable of sinning. Well, is that what John is saying? Well, that violates the other parts of this passage and especially violates where John began in 1 John 1, beginning, let's start in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Chapter 2, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So again, as we look at this passage of scripture from First uh, John chapter 3, we're reminded that, you know, it, it's clear that we sin. <laughs> In fact, <clears throat> that's the whole reason Jesus came. So if anybody tries to um, bend these words around to say, look, now that I'm a Christian, I don't sin anymore, then you're being guilty of exactly that stream of people that John is writing to when he says things like he did in 1 John chapter 1. If anybody says they haven't sinned, they're lying. And they're calling God out to be a liar. And, and, and then he goes on and says, I'm writing this to you so that you won't sin. This is the desire is for us to be truly, fully obedient. But he says, if anybody does sin, we have an advocate. We have a sacrifice, Jesus Christ, the one who gave his life for us. And so that back and forth is seen right there beginning in 1 John chapter 1. But at the same time, it's also seen here in chapter 3. Because in these verses, in 1 John 3, verses 3 through 10, he's calling us to commit ourselves to living a life of faithfulness and obedience. Not perfectly, not sinlessly, but faithfully. And I think that is the key. He speaks of our lives of purity in 1 John 3. And we're reminded of Jesus saying, Blessed are the pure in heart, uh, for they shall see God. The very beginning uh, of the Beatitudes. Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 1, live a life worthy of your calling. We're called to live a worthy life, not a sinless life, but rather a life that is worthy, a, a life that is lived in faithful obedience to the will and the call of God. And in the same way, in the very next chapter in Ephesians, in chapter 5, he tells us to live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave his life for us. Again, it starts with God. It starts with Jesus Christ. It starts with that presence of the Holy Spirit. And then the response is to live a life of faithfulness. 
In our class this morning, as we focused on obedience, we made that contrast, that differentiation between the response of faith and the life of faith. That response of faith is what enables us to have salvation through the blood of Christ. Passages like Ephesians 2 and Titus 3, um, Colossians chapter 2, they remind us that our salvation is based on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And if that hadn't happened, there's nothing we could do. There would be no response of faith. But because Jesus did come and live and die, there is something we can do in response. Those who say, no, 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 we're not saved by anything we do, will also tell you, you have to believe. Well, that is something that you do. And so again, well, what does the scripture say is that life of faith? What does it say is that response of faith? Well, it starts with Jesus, and then it says, okay, so what do we do? Well, we are saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2 says, and that, that's not of ourselves, so no one can boast. We can't boast about our response of faith, but we can be faithful in responding that way. And scripture is very clear, I think, calling us to believe that Jesus came and that he is the Savior and that he lives today. Uh, calling us to repent, to, to change, to turn our focus away from only fulfilling our selfish desires to asking the first question asked to be, what do you want, God? What does your will tell me? What does your word tell me? Uh, and that is repentance, of observing that we've been sinning and we, we don't want to continue that life and, and turning to the word of God, the Bible, the scriptures, and asking ourselves, what is the word of God on this, and how can I be faithful in obeying that? Uh, we confess that faith, and then we're baptized into Jesus Christ. So much of the book of Acts gives us one conversion account after another, and all of them consistently, including all of those things. As we, um, as we continue on, and now we are raised to live a new life, Romans 6 says. Buried with Christ through baptism into death, raised to live a new life. Well, that's, that's a significant difference between the response of faith. You have the response of faith and the life of faith. What John is talking about here in 1 John 3 is the life of faith. That life as a child of God. We are called children of God. That's what we are. And one day we will see him exactly as he is and we'll be like him. But for now, we live this life of faith, and we live this life obediently. Uh, not perfect obedience, not sinlessness. Again, John has already given us assurance that that's not the case. But because of that, Jesus has come and given us the opportunity to be faithful in our obedience. Sin is lawlessness, he says in verse 4. Not just breaking a specific law, but a generally lawless attitude toward God. And I think it may be a little bit of both of those, that attitude toward God's will to where we say, you know, I don't really care what God's will says. I want to do things my way. That's sin. That's lawlessness. That's saying I'm going to be my own God. If you want to know what your God looks like, if that's your attitude, if you don't care what the Bible says because you, you want to do this thing or you want to not do this thing that God has commanded, and because of that, you say, you know, I'm not going to concern myself with the word of God. I'm going to do what I want to do. Thank you very much. And that is not an act of faith. And that is not being obedient. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is saying, I reject God's law. And I'm going to do what I want.
Uh, and then in verse 5, Jesus comes on the scene. 1 John 3, verse 5, um, uh, you know that Jesus appeared so that he might take away our sins. Again, the back and forth, calling us to be sinless and reminding us that sin is lawlessness, but then also saying the whole reason why Jesus came is because we couldn't be perfect at that. And so he came and he shed his blood and he gave his life. John 1, 29, in, in one of the earliest moments in Jesus' ministry, John the Baptist uh, points over at Jesus of Nazareth and tells his disciples, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, great, great statement. We see that throughout Scripture, including that great passage in John three sixteen, the great passage in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, not in ourselves, we might become the righteousness of God. And so then we ask ourselves, well, what is, where does that leave us? Is, is how we live important? Is obedience to God important? We asked that question in our class this morning, and we, we asked, well, why, why is that even a question? The answer seems obvious, and yet in our culture today, we realize that there is so much lawlessness, there is so much desire to live according to what I want rather than asking the question, what does God want? And yes, the answer to that question is yes. Obedience to God is vital. It is important. We can't do that perfectly, or at least we don't do that perfectly. And so we rely on the blood of Christ for forgiveness, but that doesn't give us permission to not seek to be obedient. Again, that passage in Romans chapter 6, after making such a strong case for salvation by grace through faith, Paul says, so should we consider continue in sin so that grace might increase? And then he answers his own rhetorical question, absolutely not. The grace of God is wonderful. The grace of Jesus Christ in giving his life is amazing. Amazing that we can have all of this love lavished on us, as John says, and, and be called the children of God. But that doesn't give us permission to just go out and live any way we want. It rather calls us to do the opposite, to turn to the word of God and to say, what can I do to live that life that is worthy? Maybe not perfect, maybe not sinless, but worthy to show my gratitude for such an incredible, incredible gift. That's where these last five verses in 1 John 3 show up. They remind us that the one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning, so that's not the focus of our life. Focus of our life is to be pleasing to God, uh, to be obedient to God, to learn his will and his word, and to live that way. Verse 9, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Again, this, this life is one that calls us to live obediently. It calls us to live a life that honors the sacrifice that's been given to us, that glorifies God. Uh, that gratitude and joy is demonstrated by how we live our lives. Again, it's the contrast between the response of faith when we are baptized into Christ and the life of faith. We're raised to live a new life. Um, and so uh, we do what we do. We live obediently out of gratitude. We live obediently because God is worthy. He is the only one who is worthy of our worship and our obedience. 
uh, we live obediently out of joy. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, Oh, how I love your law. Psalm 19, much the same. The statutes of the Lord are great. They're lovely. The psalmist didn't feel constrained and burdened at all, but rather out of gratitude for the God who loved him, who created him, who, who was his, his ever-guiding presence and strength. Uh, the psalmist says, I, I love your law. Uh, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Uh, those great words are from the Old Testament, from Psalm 119, uh, because the psalmist loved God's word so much. The distinguishing mark of the child of God is that they do what is right. They live obediently, but then secondly, they love. They love their brothers and their sisters. Uh, verse 10 First uh, John 3, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child. Anyone who deliberately lives disobediently does not seek to be God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and their sister. And that's, as I said, going to be the focus of the really the remainder of the book of First John, especially in First John chapters 3 and 4. The question is... Um, what does love call me to do? We might say, well, who is my brother or sister is the same question that the man asked in Luke 10 when Jesus said the second greatest command is to love your neighbor as yourself. And he responded by saying, who is my neighbor? Well, Jesus doesn't answer his question, but what he does do is give the story of the Good Samaritan. And he tells us to ask ourselves, what is the loving thing to do? How do I demonstrate love? for my brother or my sister? How do I demonstrate love for my neighbor? That's exactly what John refers to here when he says, uh, anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or their sister. Uh, and again, that's where he's going to focus on from here on out. Um, well, why do we do this? As we close today, we go back to 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Um, consider the great depth of love that has been lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, yet that is what we are. Amazing as it sounds, incredibly impossible as it sounds, through the blood of Jesus Christ, that is exactly what we are. We are the children of God. And so what scripture tells us to do <laughs> is through that grace and that love that God has lavished on us that we could be called the children of God now in response to that in gratitude and appreciation and joy. Let's live that way. May God bless us all as we seek to do that this week. Remember, no Sunday afternoon study a week from today. I'll see you on Sunday afternoon in two weeks. God bless.